0: Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of the Making Theatre podcast. My name is James Farncombe and my name is Bruno Poet. This time we're talking to Tamika Patterson. I met her nearly three
1: years ago when I was looking for an assistant lighting designer for Tina the Musical in the West End. Tamika was highly recommended by several people at the National Theatre, so I met her for a coffee and she was so brilliant
0: that I instantly gave her the job. I have to say that talking to Tamika was a bit of a shot in the arm. From the perspective of someone with over 20 years in the theatre and prone to feeling a little jaded at times, this was a really inspiring conversation. Her passion, drive and tenacity are really remarkable and I think it's something of a masterclass in how to go about getting a career in the theatre. Absolutely. She
1: started as technical theatre apprentice at New Wimbledon Theatre, after which she was appointed theatre technician there. She then became lighting technician at the National Theatre before taking the plunge to go freelance in pursuit of a career as lighting programmer and associate lighting designer.
0: She has since worked at venues such as the Coliseum, the Young Vic, the Royal Court Theatre, Perth Theatre, the Bridge Theatre, Trafalgar Studios, Bristol Old Vic and Somerset House. She is the Young Associate Representative for the ABTT and a member of StageSight. She won the 2020 ALD Lightmonger Award, which recognises the work of young designers. And she joined us online from her home in South London to talk to us.
1: Hey Tamika, welcome to our podcast. It's really great to have you.
2: Well, thank you for having me.
1: <laughs> so last time I saw you um, was at the beginning of the final dress rehearsal um, for the new London Tina cast, and we were all there in the stalls, just about to start the, the last run through before we had an audience, um, when the announcement was made that all the West End theatres were going to be closing. Um, yeah. So, how are you coping with the lockdown?
2: Um, it is getting better. Um, To start off with, it was uh, quite hard and just knowing how to deal with things. um, But once I found out that keeping myself busy was the way forward, it's then just been really great just to um, get my head stuck in a couple of projects and learn some new skills and things to do. Um, So, yeah, it's definitely better than when we started. I mean, I hope it doesn't last (laughs) Um, much longer it's not that great. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: I'm, I'm glad you found ways to get through it and things to do because your freelance career was just starting to take off you had a lot planned for the year and now it's all been taken away.
2: Yeah so I've um, been freelance just under a year when uh, Covid hit um, just focusing on assisting and programming and I was kind of getting into my stride like the first time I had work booked up for like three months in advance, like back to back. So it's all going well. I kind of realised that this is what I wanted to do. And I was getting the work and then COVID hit.
0: Oh. <laughs> yes. Did you qualify for assistance from the government or have you fallen through the cracks in the schemes? Uh,
2: so I have um, fallen through many gaps. Uh, so I left national in May 2019. So, it couldn't be furloughed um, as a full time member of staff. I, Because my tax year, where I was earning the majority of my salary through being a freelance, my, it was my tax year 1920, but they were only counting up to 1819. So, I fell through that gap. Um, and then I was unable to get universal credit. Um, due to wow.
1: savings so wow so c- because you've been a good freelancer and saved up for, for tax or whatever you've now penalized for looking yeah. after your finances and not yeah. being and now able I've got to, to use those savings
2: <laughs> yeah so now yeah I'm, I'm it's, it, it feels savings. like
1: you've been hit in every possible direction and so yeah. what are you doing to keep afloat at the moment
2: um I have been work-wise I have been learning dipping in and out of learning vector works
1: oh well done I should say that's the CAS software that most ice design designers use, which is notoriously difficult to um, yeah. get your head around.
2: Yeah. How's um,
0: your, how, how are your Vectorworks rage levels? Um,
2: <laughs> quite, quite a bit. I mean, I had to um, order a new monitor screen because I was like, this is going to make it better. I'm blaming the monitor for why I'm getting so frustrated and can't do things. Um, so yeah, we'll see how that works. But um, it's getting better, which is great. And I now have the time to sit and commit to it whereas before it was trying to work it in between work and do bits and pieces so now I'm like I'm gonna come out of this and I'm gonna know how to use vet work so that's my like top goal for work
1: that's that's a that's a really good goal and how are you finding getting yourself motivated to do that
2: okay actually so when I started lockdown I created a little schedule so I live off of, like schedules and like to-do lists mainly because I'm quite forgetful yeah um so <laughs> I had a, a schedule just like personally to do like exercise and to read and to do bits and pieces and to do some self learning. And so from that, after like three weeks, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. So I get up at the same time, get ready, and then like I was going to work, sort of thing. Instead of like lazing in bed because I feel like if I start that, I will never get back up again.
1: Yeah, that's that's really good. I think that's a lesson we could all learn. Really, I was going to say I'm going to take a leaf out of your book. <laughs> so if lockdown hadn't happened um what would you be doing right now
2: right now I'll be getting ready to program a show at the kiln which is due to open next week um which is lovely so it would have been my second show at the kiln and it was really nice to be asked back and I guess it shows that my work what I do is good and so it was really nice to go well to be asked to go back there Um, But obviously it's not happening now So hopefully it'll happen in the future
0: That's great to have that confirmation though isn't it That when you get asked back It's sort of the best compliment that you can be given really
2: Yeah absolutely Especially from um, uh, a theatre, a space Where I didn't really know anyone So I went in there with my first show With a lighting designer And then I've been asked back to come and programme A completely different show So that's really nice Yeah Um, that's great, well done Thank you (laughs) <laughs>
0: That's really so let's talk a little bit about your story then could you tell us what your first experience of theatre was
2: yes so I started um, in performing arts actually I started dancing and um, so I was dancing it was like a, a hobby of mine and then I went on to college to study performing arts and in my final year my teacher my tutor was like you need to apply for drama school and I was like no, don't want to. I don't want to be an actor. Um, and then, so... <laughs> you knew our, that already. Yeah, yeah, I was like, I just don't <laughs> want to do it. Um, so uh, our last project, I sat with my tutor who was directing, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. I like doing it from this side. Um, so that's how I kind of started to explore the world of backstage. Um, first of all, I started off in stage management. Yeah. And I had done a thing called Backstage Pass at the Young Vic, uh, uh-huh. which was two weeks. And you just get to explore from scenic design, lighting, sound. And then I got a placement uh, there and I worked as an assistant stage manager on Hamlet, oh, uh, wow. which was great. Um, I maybe done like a couple of shows of stage management. But then when I was actually physically in a theatre, I was always looking up at the lights and I was like, oh, actually, I think I want to do lighting. Um and then, so I didn't study or go to drama school, and I done a technical theatre apprenticeship, which was a year long, um, at based at New Wimbledon Theatre for Ambassador Theatre mm-hmm. Group. And okay. So how and how
1: did you how did you find out about well the Young Vic scheme and the New Wimbledon Theatre scheme? How did you come across them? Because obviously they were hugely useful to you to find out what you wanted to do for a career.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think the Young Vic thing was. Uh, through my college, so yeah. I went to Lewisham College, and they have really close um, connections with Young Vic. We always used to go there to watch shows. Yeah. Um, with uh, the apprenticeship, I, 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 I didn't want to go to uh, drama school. I was like, I don't want to get in debt. <laughs> that was my main mm-hmm. thing. I was like, I don't want to owe anyone money. Um, so I was just looking around, and I worked in retail, which I absolutely hated. Um, but I swapped my shift to work morning delivery, so I'd finish at ten, and then I'd go out into West End and hand out my CV every single day, trying to get experience. Um, yeah, I think the thing is with stage management, it's quite easy to take on work experience. I think not, but not easy, but easier because um, you kind of shadow, you can help set props or do a shout check, you can get quite involved. But I think with technical theatre, because it's such a skill. I think you kind of have to know what you're doing, so it was a lot harder to try and get in with experience in theatres. Um, and in a sense, I kind of gave up. And one, and then it just popped up on my laptop that ATG were doing apprenticeships. Like the deadline was like two days away. Right. Apply. Um, so yeah, I applied and I got the job, which was great.
0: Well done, yeah. I've got two questions about that. I was So were you literally just going to stage doors and giving your CVs to stage doors? Is that what you were doing?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I was just, yeah, printing off CVs. If I could get the name of the chief or whoever's in charge, I was addressing it to them. But then I just had loads of kind of generic um, CVs and just walking around, handing them into stage door. Um, very few replies, but it's like, someone's going to get back to me. So I just kept on going. And yeah,
0: and then when you say that the the information about the um, apprenticeship popped up on your laptop, where did that come from?
2: I can't remember. It might have been like an ATG. I guess in like with I don't know like cookies and stuff. It was just seeing that I was researching mm. all these bits and pieces. Um, but yeah, it's how cookies work for the goods.
1: <laughs> so, what was your experience like on the apprenticeship? Did you feel like you were given real concrete skills?
2: Uh, yes, for regional theatre, I do. What was nice was that I was working in real time I was working in a professional environment so I had to keep up right and there were people there where I could go ask questions and kind of just observe and I think it was down to me to ask those questions because we never had really downtime it was a new show in every single week so I may like see something that someone's doing And then later on, just be like, oh, I saw you doing this. Like, what does that mean? Or how do you do this? And so it was just me just kind of observing and then Mm. trying to get the information out. But what was really nice was, I mean, when I started, I knew absolutely nothing about how to work in a theatre environment or anything technical. Um, But by the time I left, I finished my apprenticeship, um, we had um, companies coming in, visiting, and they would go to like our stage supervisor and be like, we only ordered like nine for the get in and the get out. Why have you got 10 people? And they're like, no, to me, because actually an apprentice, like you're not paying for her, she's with us. So that was really nice to know that when I started, I was kind of, in a sense, just like standing around and waiting for someone to give me a job or just doing small tasks that I knew how to do. But by the end, after a year, I was fully involved.
1: Yeah, so you became effectively a full-time member of crew after your yeah. after your year there.
2: Yeah.
0: And you were learning by doing, which is there's no substitute for that, yeah. in my opinion.
2: Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I love apprenticeships. I think everyone should do them. <laughs> I think they're great. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you have to say, what is it that attracted you to lighting in the first place? What was it about lighting particularly that, that grabbed your attention?
2: For my 13th birthday, it was we went my mum took me to see um fame i just remember just like seeing like all the fashion lights and looking up and just being like mesmerized by what was going on on stage i then because i didn't know much about like sound or the other departments i think that's why i chose stage management because i had a Mm. misunderstanding of what the job was so i thought a stage manager was in a sense a technician where they kind of do a bit of everything not that they bring everyone together. So I kind of had like a misunderstanding on what the job was, um, but as I was doing the my apprenticeship and working in the with the lighting department, I just gained a strong interest. And every time the equipment would come in and seeing how versatile it was and what it could do, and then working on a Panto, I think as well was the <laughs> the, the big thing for me. I was like, this is great. Um, <sighs> so yes
0: that's really intoxicating that that's my first ever show that i worked on in a professional theater was a pantomime as well
2: oh great i love pantomime
0: yeah mine too but i was on the fly floor for my first ever professional pante i was doing pyrotechnics i got to do all the <laughs> they put me in charge of the, like, my first job It's
2: <laughs>
0: did you um blow
1: up james yes <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad you're safely safely behind a lighting desk now, James, or, or or not even touch your lighting desk, just behind a, a designer's desk. So, you became attracted to working in lighting rather than anything else in theatre. So, how did you hone those skills? Because programming lights is a highly specialized job. You operate the computer that controls all the lights and the lighting effects.
2: Um, really, when I started at the National, um, so I kind of understood. bit about programming when I was an apprentice um but it wasn't until I was at the national that I saw it in action and when I saw it I was like this is what I want to do like straight away I was like I'm all for this like team programming let's go Um, (laughs) (laughs) so what do you love what do you love
1: about programming What, what about it appeals to you
2: I love um taking the designers ideas and making it and like putting it into practice and making it their vision and putting their thoughts onto stage I really love that that kind of uh what's the word that involvement Mm -hmm. in the process Um, yeah because you're right
1: at the coalface with us as we're trying to um frantically put together pictures on stage in the tech and you're often under a lot of time pressure as well because there's that feeling that. Um, the whole room is waiting for us to finish making a particular lighting cue before we can move on through the rehearsal. Yeah. how do you how do you feel about that pressure? Do you thrive on it? Does it scare you? What's what's it like?
2: I think in the moment I get on and do it. Like it does scare me, and I normally afterwards I normally kind of put a down on myself. I'm like, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. I feel like everyone was waiting for me.
1: You're your own worst self critic, of course. <laughs> yeah, like, absolutely. like so many of us are. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Um, or I I take it home and I'll go to my friends or like my mom. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I had such a bad day. And I go, and everyone's like, no, like it was fine. Like it's forgotten. I'm like, oh, okay. Sure. That's fine. <laughs> that's fine. But I always try my best. And something that I've learned as well from, being in the sort of producing world is that you there's i've made like so many connections and Mm. have a large network of um highly skilled and helpful and supportive people around me that i can just um send like call or send a text just be like help me i don't know what i'm doing um so has
1: has the kind of community of um of programmers who are more established been very welcoming to you and very helpful
2: oh absolutely yeah 100 percent in a sense, when I walked into it, I kind of thought that it may be like no one would really want to help because it would be kind of schooling someone who could potentially take work. Um, but I think everyone that I've worked with has been incredible, really supportive. Um, a lot of my programming, I didn't do much programming when I decided to go freelance, which is a bit of a weird one, but I observed yeah. a lot. And yeah, uh, took, like loads of opportunities to, to go and sit behind programmers and lighting designers um, when I wasn't working, mm. um, just to try and learn and pick up and ask questions. So a lot of my desk knowledge has come from watching other people do w- it.
1: Watching, to go, yeah, you certainly popped up in a couple of my texts um, <laughs> behind behind the, behind the yeah. desk and had a look at yeah. what's going on. But I think that's it's, it's fantastic that you've taken this upon yourself to to make the effort to do that and to learn the skills because. Seeing people work and seeing how people work and the results that are happening on stage as a consequence of that is such a brilliant way to do it, to learn about the whole world of making plays. And I think it's something that you can't learn by reading books or by doing courses or no. talking about it. Being actually in the room while it's being done, I think is yeah. hugely beneficial. And I, and I think that's why you thrive so much.
2: Yeah, I think it's a lot to do as well with my apprenticeship. Like being in that work right. environment, I've had to... Mm go and ask questions and go out there I'm not sitting with like 20 other peers and all working like together it's just been me at that one level and everyone else has been higher than me so it must have
1: been tough though to be in that position as a, a young person with little experience coming into that world
2: yeah it, it, it was tough and uh, not really having any knowledge of the industry so to be enlighten. And to, I guess, in a way, to well, I felt like I had to prove myself in a sense, but also to mm-hmm. show that I can do this. And as well, being the first apprentice, you kind of feel that you want to make this work so that they can carry on the apprenticeship and more people can gain from a technical theatre apprenticeship.
1: Yeah, well, you're you're a great example. Of the potential success of these schemes, so you've talked a bit about programming, and that's obviously a big chunk of the work that you're now doing, or would be doing if we weren't all sat here talking because we're in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> um, but also, I um, mean, I first met you, when I first worked with you to when you were assisting on Tina, um, yeah. and you've been doing a lot of assisting on various shows. How do you, how do you enjoy the role of assisting, and how does that sort of compare to being a programmer?
2: I think. Resisting is when you uh you just really like get involved with a project and you kind of have your role. So like on Tina, yeah. it was like okay, I'm looking after follow spots, and then I kind of was like okay, this is my thing. I want to make sure that they've got like uh cue sheets that is up to date. That any notes that they've made that I communicate mm. with them, and it just kind of becomes like your baby, and it's, so it gives mm-hmm. you something to focus on and something to really like get your teeth into, and then take pride in like follow spots. Because as well with like the rest of the company say for spots are quite often forgotten about like outside of London yeah. so it's nice unsung, unsung
1: heroes of theatre. yeah think, absolutely
2: yeah. so it's just nice to kind of give them attention and work with them
0: somewhere in the ceiling and in the dark they're easily <laughs> forgotten yeah and um how many did you how many
2: did you have on Tina uh we had four so two front of house yeah. and then two like the slipped position um mm. and I'd only called four spots once before. And Bruno and Max were like, "Oh yeah, tune the cool follow spots," and I was like, "Yeah." And in my head, I was like, "Right, okay, Tamika." <laughs> <What is this laughs> and then I feel like um, kind of the pressure behind it kind of made me not slack off because yeah. I like, I know that I need to kind of concentrate. And as I'm calling it, I need to learn the skill that I'm trying to do as well.
0: It's yeah. pivotal on a, on a show like that as well, isn't it? Because the follow spots are so, so important. Yeah. Because most of the time, a lot of the time, I imagine they're the, they're the primary source of illumination and the, light, the rest of the lighting is doing looks and effects, actually. Yeah. Is that right, Bruno? Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah, very much yeah. so. I mean, particularly on Tina and actually the same for, for Miss Laigon. I think it's you know, the style of which I've done those big musicals is that the follow spots are nearly all the time providing the, the light, the front light on people's faces and the focus for the scene. And we tend to use them on those shows in quite a subtle way. They're not sort of obvious big circles for most of the time. Um, And so Tamika's job is quite hard because I'll sort of mutter a few notes to her about how I want the follow spots to be for a scene. And her job is to sort of interpret that into actual useful information she can pass on to the follow spot operators in the heat of the moment. And what's great about having a, a brilliant spot caller as an assistant is that, and someone who's really paying attention to what's happening on stage is that after a while you can basically just leave them to get on with it, yeah. and mm-hmm. their contribution
0: to the show is just taking what you know my guidance and running with it. Tamika, did you find were you managing them as people as well? Because uh, I, my experience, I remember doing this on the the Woman in White in the West End, and uh, the things I learnt on the follow spot channel made my eyes water sometimes. <laughs> but
2: I mean, I am very thankful for the follow spot private ring <laughs> because <I> mean, sometimes <laughs> they would go off one i'm like i have no idea what you're chatting but it's like you have to i'm listening to any notes coming from uh the lighting designer or the associate and i'm trying to concentrate about what's going on in stage and then like, that will be in like a massive conversation and then i might be like reblocking blocking something on stage and be like sorry to interrupt guys like, i feel like i'm the one that's like oh sorry and but can we just like concentrate what's going on stage because blocking's changing and whatnot so, um, I think just finding the balance of they are, unless they're like front of house spot and with someone else or with other people, they are sitting by themselves. But yeah, some of the conversations that they had, I was, we're going to turn you down for a bit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tamika, you work with me on Tina in the West End, but more recently you've been involved in Dear Evan Hansen with an American lighting designer. Did you find the American process very different from what you've seen working with um, British lighting designers?
2: Yes, it was very different and it was hard to pinpoint why. Um, reason being that it was a show that already existed. So right, all yeah. my assisting up to that point was Tina, which was um, a new show, and Avita at Regent's Park Open Air Theatre, which was a new show. So it was the first time I had joined a team that has been doing this show. It was like their fifth time doing it or something like that.
1: So they've already made a lot of the decisions. You're not just disc- because yeah. when we make a show for the first time, then you're past the team discovering what the show is and yeah, absolutely. discovering what the lighting might be. So here yeah. it's slightly different because they've w- already worked out a lot of it and you're just making adaptions for this particular venue and then the cast.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. They also brought over um, a US assistant who was calling for the spots. Um, right. So at the time I was like, Oh, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I yeah, kind of, took um on the role of doing paperwork and um changing the paperwork to suit West end and um yeah. and then also learning as well the associate side because once they left I took on the role of associate to then look after the show.
1: Brilliant. So you're so you'd be going back to see it every so often to check everything's still working as
0: it should?
2: Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. Um was it a difficult decision to go freelance But well, obviously with that, all that in mind, that's why you went because that's where you were aiming. But um, Um, was it a hard decision?
2: Yes, it was really hard. (laughs) Um, I had to talk myself into it for about nine months (laughs) to get ready for it. Um, Because I had never, I've always had work since I was 16. So the thought of being freelance and potentially not earning any money was um,
0: uh, scary.
2: Yeah, really scary. (laughs) Um, So after Tina, I went back to the national as a lighting technician um, in the Olivier and it was a year's contract and I was like, yeah. okay, I'm going to use this time to kind of home in with like the programming and stuff and take up opportunities that they may have um, for me. And because the team's so big and everyone kind of had these fair shot, I wasn't really getting the time behind the desk or doing what I wanted to do. So a little while, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna go freelance. I'm gonna do it. (laughs) Um, so then I that's when I started saving because I was like, I want to go and I want to shadow and I want to sit behind people and I don't want to have to think about money. Um, so I then started talking myself around it from about like October, um, and then it got to January, and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? And I was like, no, you've (laughs) got to stick with it, keep going. And then it got to maybe like a month before. Um, I was due to leave and like my supervisors were like are you sure you want to go and I was like oh I don't know and then I was like no Mika (laughs) you've made this commitment you're gonna do it and yeah so then I left but I think it's like I'm really thankful for it I'm glad that I left um I've learned so much and I'm kind of I'm doing what I want to do um and I feel that especially with programming I'm a lot further ahead than I would be if I
0: stayed at National. Yes, because that really is a good example of learning by doing, isn't it? There's no other way. Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Absolutely. And, yeah, had the pandemic not hit, then you'd have had a really, really busy few months. So
0: yeah. you've definitely made the right decision. Yeah. Definitely. How did you find working in the West End when you left? Because that's quite a different proposition to the to the National, isn't it?
2: Yeah. So when I, um, I have a thing, especially with Bruno. So he Bruno offers me opportunities. <laughs> And I get really excited because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great. Like Bruno's asking me to be assistant or program uh, the cast change on Tina. And so like, on the phone, I'm like, yes, amazing, Bruno. Like I'd love to do it. And I get off the phone and I'm like, oh my <laughs> gosh, what have I just done? I haven't programmed, I'm programming Tina. It's going to be insane. Oh my gosh, I'm not good enough. And I start going into like, a, 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 like I'll go into like a crazy place. Um, but with, uh, <laughs> with West End, it was quite hard because, for example, with Tina, I wasn't really sure of the role of an assistant. And yeah. I think National works completely differently to any other organisation or company. So I spent a little time trying to work out, oh, it's part of this job and part of that job, and I'm taking this from here, and then just fusing it together.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a curiously sort of undefined role assistant lighting designer because, and I think maybe we need to think about more about how we do define that. But it varies so much from production to production, from personality to personality, in terms of how how the different roles in the lighting department are, are split up. And this isn't often, is a person who who's, whose job sort of expands or contracts to fill the space needed. And it can be all kinds of different things.
2: I think as well, it's um, I am now not too not afraid to ask or pose the silly question of, going to LD and being like what do you want from me like what do you expect yeah, me that's to really do? good. um instead of just winging it and being like oh well I thought you wanted this I thought you wanted that just to understand Yeah, no, it's, it's yeah. very good
1: to ask questions and I think yeah. as LDs we should probably be more aware that we
0: potentially should explain what we'd like people to do as much better but that's a really good skill that sounds like you've taken from being a an apprentice was the, the ability and the competence just to go up to people and say uh what do you want what do you need rather than you know rather than them just expecting you to know, because how could you possibly know? It's a really good thing to do, just to come up and say, tell me how you want me to be. But is it, and for us, well, for me, it's been really exciting seeing you grow, because you
1: you did come to Tina originally as an assistant, and then a couple of years later, you're there as the programmer for the for the cast change. And also, you you really saved my bacon on a couple of occasions. For example, the Attitude Awards, which was a press event that Tina did. I was away on working in America, and we needed someone to light the Megamix, which is a big chunk of... Um, of three Tina Turner songs which are at the end of the show and they were mm-hmm. going to be performed was it Megamix or was it um Proud Mary? Proud Mary or, I
0: believe. It was Proud Mary sorry
1: yeah. yeah so Proud Mary the kind of one of the biggest most iconic Tina songs um was going to be performed as a sort of one-off um at the Attitude Awards and we needed someone to go and light it and so I just called Tamika and said hey Tamika can, can you light um yeah and Proud Mary for like, the Attitude yes. awards? oh
2: my gosh what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> and I just
1: sent you a, a really quickly scribbled out kind of cue list and the video of the show or whatever. And you had to go in rehearsals and work out how they're going to adapt it and then look at the lighting rig you had and basically, in very, very short time, program a whole sequence. And um, you did a brilliant job.
2: Oh, thank you. I really how was it for you, Tamika? Good. I think, again, I was kind of, I went in worrying a little bit about it. Um, but Bruno was like oh yeah I'm on the end of the phone if you want to call me or message me and then he sent through um kind of like the lighting cue kind of stencil and then I went watched rehearsals and I got a archive recording and sat down and like watched it all and just made notes um so I probably made it into a much bigger thing than um what it was in a sense of loads of like homework and watching videos and things but I wanted to go in feeling comfortable um, and I hadn't seen the show in a while. So, and also to do the team proud. Um, yeah. Um,
1: yeah. No, exactly. And preparation is so important because if you do go into those situations having done the preparation, then you're in a really good place to make decisions on the spur of the moment because nothing goes exactly as planned in yeah. your head. But having all that background knowledge of what the show was and what the show. Could be and what the lighting cues were doing for a particular moment meant that you could quickly make those kind of decisions.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And there was <laughs> there was plenty of that on a day. <laughs>
1: I'm sure there was. Yeah, because you even had to um push the lighting operator aside because they weren't doing the cues in the right place. Is that right? Something like that happened.
2: At one point, I had to get up a Avo Light desk manual to program the show, and then they started the number. They start started sound, and then the programmer had even loaded the queue list on the desk and I was like I don't know why it's not there and then it was absolutely saying then I was just like right I'm pressing the go button <laughs> it was quite challenging but again it's an experience and something that I'm really glad that I had done
1: yeah and it turned out yeah you know, it looked great and the producers were really really happy everyone was, it was, it was brilliant and it, yeah
0: a f- fantastic thing for you to have done tell us about the um the Lightmonger award you won a Lightmonger oh. award didn't you I think what was yes, that
2: for I have um it's from the ALD for New Talent in Entertainment Lighting. So yes, we had our virtual ceremony on Tuesday. Thank you very much. Um it was very nice because I was told about it about maybe three weeks into lockdown. Um so it was very nice to be, Yeah. Oh, then this is a nice little pick me up. Um and also yeah, I definitely. think for like many of us, we don't do our work to be awarded or recognised, like we do it because we love it. So it was really nice to yeah. know that I am out there doing my work, and it has been picked up without me going out and seeking to be recognised for the work I do. So that was really nice and really warming to know, that actually, that I am on the right path.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a huge compliment. And do you love making theatre?
2: Um, I love. Musicals. <laughs> I I enjoy watching theatre as well. I always go out and watch a show um, when I can, and I am happy to go and watch a show alone. Like it does not bother me at all. And I will be the yeah. crazy woman walking out with a bag full of swag because I'm just that person.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> so you're a mega fan as well as working in it. Uh,
2: yeah, absolutely. I I think the thing is from what from being in a receiving house. What I miss was being a part of making it happen. So the show was already there, already made up, lighting, sound, everything was there. We just threw it up and the show went on. And I think that's what I really enjoyed about Panto because it was the one time in yeah. the year that we had involvement on making a show. So once I went into producing, I was like, I'm never going yeah. back. This is amazing. So yeah, just seeing how shows grow and even like with example Tina I think I left just before previews maybe or slightly into previews and then coming back at press night and being like wow it has changed from what I remember it. and it's only been like two weeks so I just loved the. yeah tentative. we did a lot of
1: changes during previews on that show yeah
2: even the follow spots I was like oh there's a moving <laughs> out there and that wasn't there when, <laughs> when I was there um, <laughs> but, but just seeing everyone come together the creative ideas bouncing to and fro and just sitting in a room and I just like to listen and observe and yeah, I think it's great.
0: Um, so at what stage did you become aware of all of the, the different jobs that people could do in the theatre outside of just acting and dancing?
2: I think as I was dancing but at an older age because yeah. we would, um, as, as I was old, at an older age, we were allowed to sit in the auditorium uh, during our tech and that's then when you got to see the lighting desk out and people doing their bits and pieces and it's, I don't know what I thought before, whether it was like theatre, like fairies would come and do it, like you just never it never like came to me how this happened, like we would go on stage yeah. and there will be lights and there will be sound but where did that come from, it never really yeah. um, occurred to me so I yeah. had a better understanding of it when I went to college Um, but it wasn't until my apprenticeship and then going to national where it kind of uncovered so many different jobs that I just didn't know was out there
0: it's funny you know I've not been to work at the national for well it's over a year now so I could hardly claim to be a regular at the moment but I think it's my favorite place to work and uh and so I have I'm very affectionate about it I think of it as my home theater do you know what I mean is do you have a how, how do you feel? Are you fond of it? Do you have fond memories?
2: Uh, yes, I do. Like I go back to um, visit and it's always like, it's got like a little soft spot, like a little space in my heart, like the national theater. And that's, I feel like that's where like I really yeah. grew and understood what I wanted to do. And mm. so I feel like I have a lot to be grateful for, for what the national has offered me and going back and watching shows and just, feeling like really proud and knowing a team behind it. Um, it's mm. sort of like a great sense of um, having worked there.
1: Yeah, cool. I, think, I think I have a similar feeling about The National. I've done such a variety of variety of shows there in the different auditoriums and different types of plays. But it's definitely a place, a theatre I love coming back to. And it probably is if I have such a thing as a, as a home venue, then that would probably be the one I'd pick.
2: Do you have a favourite or do you have a a venue that you prefer lighting in at the National?
1: Uh, I love the Ollie. I love the fact that it's a, it's kind of works like a studio theatre on a giant scale. I think it has the rules of a studio theatre where the lights are exposed, it's kind of experimental, you have to be very kind of bold and it's a slightly unconventional and tricky space and I think the challenges of that space are different for every kind of show you do in there and it's a kind of know, magical place to conquer. And equally, yeah. it's a frustrating space to fail in, I suppose. <laughs> so I think I think resting with the Olivier is definitely one of my favourite lighting challenges. I think that's probably why it's my favourite venue at the National.
0: Yeah, I'd agree, I think. Although I do love the Littleton too. There's something very comforting and yeah. safe about the Littleton. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you get Laurie Clayton at the Littleton, which is... Aww. And you get Laurie Clayton,
1: which is always a <laughs>
0: But you get Jack Williams. It's true, Livia, yeah, exactly. So you you yeah. Certainly
1: can't really lose really? in any of the venues. They're always a fantastic team there. You're a member of Stage um Can you tell us a bit yeah. about that organisation?
2: Yes. So Stage Sight is there as a, a community and network hub for like diversity in the backstage. Um, they have members from all walks of life. Um, representing from like sound lighting stage and it's just a a great community to Mm kind of speak up and a source to be there because I think as well growing up if someone thought or coming into the industry if someone was to do work experience or to look on stage and be like oh I don't really see anyone or know anyone that looks like me working on stage I think going onto the stage site website and seeing all these individuals that either represent them or look like them or people that understand and want to help them grow and mm. i think that's just a really nice thing to have
1: yeah so you think role models are important in yes, encouraging people yeah. to think about a career in theatre
2: yeah
0: it's still predominantly white and male yeah.
2: isn't yeah. it yeah yeah even like that being said, I have always um, felt comfortable at work. I've never felt out of place or made to feel like I look different or I sound different from other people. Um, And if anything, the only thing that's been kind of brought up is that I am a female and I used to get it quite a bit with visiting companies um, at New Wimbledon Theatre. And it wasn't like, oh, you're a female, so you can't do technical theatre. It was more a sense of, oh, do you need help lifting out of the truck? Like, do you want the guys to do it? And it's like, no, I've, <laughs> I've come to this item to lift it because I want to lift it. Just let me take it inside. So I think that was uh, more of an issue and what was frustrating um, over being a black female.
0: Why do you think there's such a, a lack of diversity backstage?
2: Um, I think it's quite tricky the reason being is especially like with technical I don't think like you can offer the job and promote it to um, black people or to d- like diverse applicants but they need to be there to apply and you can't offer jobs to people that are not applying or do not have an interest or do not have the skill set I think it's Um, definitely down to training and kind of encouraging and um, introducing theatre to people at a young age so that they could grow with it and they could get to understand it um, before before they make their career choices. And I think a lot of it, like myself, you kind of do the disciplines that are pushed in front of you and are available in seen everywhere like dancing or acting and then you kind of mm. fall into something else it's never there at the forefront I think it's quite hard as well for for the black community and this is not for everyone but I feel that there when it comes to jobs there is a kind of thing especially with parents being like oh you're going to be a lawyer or you're going to be a doctor or you're going to do something." that's really big and impressive and something that's been told to them and school to them, um, which was what happened with me. So I, my first year of college, I studied psychology, law, um, and some other bits and pieces, which I cannot remember <laughs> because, <laughs> because my dad was like, Oh yes. Like you're going to be like a lawyer. And after a year I was like, this is not me. This is not me at all. Why am I doing this? And then mm. I kind of took a stand and I was like, this is what i want to do and my mom was like great just do it like i'm here to support you it's great so i went on to do that but i think on the flip side of that i i think it's great offering jobs to um like the black community and encouraging diversity in your workplace um i am all for it and Getting them the work and giving them the work, but I also believe that I have worked quite hard to get where I am. So, and I do what I do to contribute and to be a value to the team. And I don't want to be an accessory to like tick boxes and make an organisation look good. If that makes any sense, I Mm. don't want to just be plopped into a situation to be like, oh, yes, like we've got diversity. I want to be there for my skills and talent and because I've worked hard to get there. So more kind of like uh, placements, like incentives, people, companies that offer like work experience um, to those who are maybe like cannot afford to go to the theatre or have show mm. interest but can't afford to go to drama school. Because I think there is something out there that kinda of tells you you have to study it. And you have to study yeah. to to do whatever you want to do, whatever you should have an interest in. And that's something that I questioned a lot myself. So when I finished my apprenticeship, I was very much like, Oh, do I need to go to drama school and study again? So everyone I was talking to was like, You don't need to do it. But they all had experience of higher education. Um and also making people aware that it is a career and you can make money from it. I think the whole idea of you have no social life, it's long hours, you always sit in the dark. I mean, some of that's true it's to true. a certain extent. <laughs> but, um, but I mean social life like theatre kind of is my social life now. Like I've met so many like great people that I now call friends through theatre. Uh, that I get to work with you get to work on different projects and things like that so I think kind of that like the what could be like the bad stigmas of theatre to be lifted and also having some sort of uh, basement work experience and things like that um, in place to build like the next generation of creative so to speak.
1: It feels to me that the subsidised theatres are trying to take a, a role in um apprenticeships and opportunities like that or or placements or whatever but the commercial theatre tends not to be doing that at all I wonder if that's the responsibility the commercial theatre needs to take on
2: yeah I think so um and also um I feel like people normally look say if there was like a hierarchy of theatres people normally look at the top yeah. And then go down. And I think if they go to the top and see that they're not offering X, Y, and Z, and then going a little further down and seeing that they are they're only looking for like a lighting designer or someone that has ten plus years experience. Um, it's quite off putting. Mm. So I think just everyone I think it's now a time to get together as well and work together. Um, and I think that's definitely something that um like commercial theatres and bigger organizations can do
0: can i just ask then um you don't have to answer this but the pet your parents who wanted you to do philosophy and law how are they feeling now about your career
2: absolutely fine <laughs> but um great. It, great. it was my dad and i think it was just a thing of being like oh yeah I've got a, a daughter who's gonna be a lawyer and i was like i'm not that daughter <laughs> mm. <laughs> that is not me but now that i do it that's like you're happy it's great keep doing what you're doing and just every time I kind of reach like a little goal is another thing to be like, Oh, this is great. Like I, when I like turn my first assistant job or program, my first show, at the West end, like, I think some people see it as like little bits, but for me, they're like little goals. Yeah. But like, my mom has always been like, do mm. what you want to do. I'll support you. So yeah, my family have been really great and they appreciate and support what I do
0: it's essential isn't it I think that kind yeah. of support and there's yeah. and
1: also there's something really pleasing to be able to show your parents a thing you've made do you know what I mean yeah. where if you're, if you're working in a bank and doing a routine I mean, office still, job I or, still or still whatever but yeah <laughs> I, I mean I still love it too doing, if, being able to invite my parents to the first night of a show whatever that show is so for you too you can invite them to see any show that you've been involved in making and say yeah. look I'm if, if I wasn't here doing this job this show wouldn't have happened and yeah that's really exciting. I think that's a thrill for parents to see.
2: Yeah. And what's really nice as well, so just to add to that, um, my mum is now really into theatre. So she wasn't before I started working at theatre. Right. And now she's just, like, always going to the theatre. I mean, she's... At, when I was working at the National, she's actually seen more shows than I have at the National... Um, if I do a show and Brilliant. I'm like oh yeah it's press night she's like oh I'm gonna get my dress ready and I'm like I didn't say I'm gonna invite you but she always comes anyway <laughs> <She's> always <laughs> can't keep her away gets, yeah she gets really excited <laughs> she's already got the tickets <laughs> yeah she gets really excited so it's lovely just to have that and for my mum now to be interested in theatre and the work that I do yeah
0: okay I think it's time for the quick fire round yes it is James go okay so Jamaica, um plays or musicals musicals do you have a favorite tool?
2: Ooh, 5.5 5 mil nut screw to take off scrollers because they're really hard to find. And if you don't have the right one, it is. <laughs> that is the
0: best answer.
2: <laughs> it is so frustrating.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> Make sure everyone knows what is good. Um, favorite light? What's your favorite light?
2: Oh, I don't know. I'm going to go very simple. I'm going to say a birdie.
1: Good choice, oh, Wow, good one.
2: Because they could be like footlights; they can go into little holes, and they could be like nice little. You can sneak them anywhere. Yeah, I think I can go with that.
1: Excellent. You can come again. That's good news. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're beautiful tungsten. Yeah, tick, we approve. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite color? Uh,
2: in general, or lighting, light? Both, both. Give us, give us
1: both. Your, your general okay. favorite color, and um, so my and general favorite
2: color is purple, and uh, my favorite gel. I think it's Lee 118, maybe 116, which is like a till greeny, bluey colour. Saturated actually amazing. It's, such- it's 116, that's a, that's a, that's a great go. colour. Yeah. Yeah, somewhere on exactly.
0: the cusp between green and blue. It's very, very pleasing. Yeah. It, um, making a show, what's your favourite bit of the process? I've
2: got different ones. So as a technician, yeah. I love um, mm. like the practical side of things, like making practicals. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I'm known mm-hmm. for getting practicals cut when I touch them. Um, and <laughs> as, as a programmer, I think it's kind of looking back, like having like a manic like couple of days and looking back and being like, wow, we achieved all this. Like the show looks amazing. Uh-huh. There's loads of cues and a death. And as an assistant, I really love just being on a table and com- uh, conversating with like the lighting designer and associate and learning um, from the lighting designer. Yes, that's it.
1: Great answers. Brilliant. So, very good. What job would you do if the profession went away? A cheery um, thought for all of us in the middle of a well, pandemic.
2: Yeah. My next go to would be a pilot, but that's not looking too good either. So, um, I'm just going to stay at home, I think. <laughs> <But> yeah, <laughs> I think I, I'd be a pilot, I think, if I wasn't in theatre.
0: What are you passionate about outside of theatre?
2: My family and friends.
0: What do you need to be better at?
2: Believing in myself.
0: And then finally, your tech rehearsal must-haves. If you had a rider, what would it be?
2: A desk fan, especially in the summer. I would have some sort of massive sign or something to go over the power of a desk. Because there's been many a times when I've been in the middle of something and someone's wanting to plug in a vacuum cleaner and pulled out my desk power so some sort of lock safe on the on the plug would be great that
0: would be good so Mika,
1: that was fantastic really really great to talk to you thank you so much
2: oh thank you for having me it's been great
0: Thanks again to Tamika for talking to us. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have any comments or questions, um, you can contact us on Twitter or Instagram at Making Theatre FM or by email on Making Theatre Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.